Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. That's right. Who's your daddy? Yeah, I'm your daddy. I'll be your daddy for a day. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It is uh, the uh, Tuesday before Father's Day here in the United States for the year of 2022. It's on this week's show in Pipe Parts, a quick little uh, Father's Day gift guide. Or, you know, it's also a gift guide that you can use pretty much any time of the year for a pipe smoker. So we'll have that. Then we have a, a, a discussion that I had with uh, Dr. Fred Hanna, PhD, in more of the Inside Fred's Heads discussions. But I believe this is probably the most important one of those discussions we've ever had. It runs a little long, so that's why a little short and stuff. Uh, and then music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, please keep sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever you have uh, pipe-smoking friends or uh, if you have people that you don't like, make them listen to the show. It'll work, trust me. <laughs> also, uh, VegasPipeShow.com is the website for the formerly West Coast Pipe Show, now the Las Vegas International Pipe Show. So you'll go to VegasPipeShow.com, and right now up there is the uh, basics, and the very slim, and we're adding to it every day. Uh, but hotel reservations are open, and you can go onto the website and get the link and get the discount and the discounted room rate. I think it's uh, I think it's about 40% off the, uh, the standard rate right now, so make sure and check that out. Also remember, book your room through, the, through our link. That does help the Pipe Show itself. So if you're coming to Vegas... You want to book it through the link. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, a uh, quick one, Father's Day gift guide. So, uh, you know, for when you're buying a gift for a pipe smoker, if you don't really know exactly what they want, here's what I suggest you do. If it's a pipe, pick out a pipe that you think is pretty. Pick out a pipe that you think you would like to see them smoking. Uh, pick out a pipe that's in, you know, may not be in their normal price range. So those are perfect gifts, and it's easy to do because all you do is you just pick out the pipe that looks good. That simple. All right, a couple other things that us pipe guys or pipe people like, and if you're, uh, you know, if you're around your uh, your non-pipe smoking family right now, you may want to you know turn up the volume. Uh, tobacco containers. 
you know, tobacco jars for storing at home. So, you know, let's say you've got, uh, you, you just ordered uh, four ounces of your favorite and you need a tobacco container. Well, there's several good tobacco jars available on smokingpipes.com and all kinds of different sizes, colors, shapes. And, you know, especially for those of us that like to smoke a bulk tobacco and want something fancier than a mason jar or a ball jar to store it in, well, there you go. Uh, the other thing, the, uh, you know, the pocket jars from, uh, from the briary or the pipery, the pipery.com, the little pocket jars, those are great for carrying your bulk tobaccos around while you're out or even if you've opened up a tin and you want to keep it nice and fresh so you can look for those so again you know little pocket travel things um while we're talking about pocket travel stuff tobacco roll-ups you know the old leather the old-fashioned leather roll-ups they're great for keeping tobacco fresh for a day or two and there's a lot of options for them um the other thing that a lot of us pipe smokers won't buy for ourselves is pipe racks or pipe stands and some you know some companies and some people make a single pipe stand that's quite ornate and meant really for displaying your stand your pipe and these are the stands i'm talking about the ones that are for displaying your pipes not the little ones that i have sitting here on my desk where you rest the pipe in between smoking it or uh, in between recording segments but uh, you can get a single pipe stand you can get a double pipe stand uh, you want to go really nice. Uh, Mikhail Kiryazanos has some uh, has some uh, magnetic stands that are three that hold three pipes. Great for displaying your perfect, yeah, your your favorite three. Or he's got a five one too. So if you've got a perfect five, but again, the, the, those pipe stands are things that you know we might want to put on the bookshelf and look at our favorite pipes on, and they make a great gift. Uh, and then, you know, we always like tobacco. So tins of tobacco, uh, maybe a uh, maybe a pound or two of our favorite bulk tobacco is always great. I'm always a fan of pipe cleaners. And, uh, you know, while, while you're picking out pipe cleaners, uh, pipe tampers, in particular the 8 Deco, those are the ones with the concave foot and the little, uh, they're vented. And they come in all different colors. So, and they're not, you know, 12, 14 bucks, eight bucks, uh, all different kinds of colors and shapes and sizes. So you get a good variety of them. Maybe, a, you know, maybe something that would, uh, you know, maybe something that would be a little bit heavier for outside or, you know, something that might color coordinate with the inside of their car because uh, that's where I end up smoking a lot of my pipes. Uh, books are always great. Us pipe smokers are always reading books and reading magazines and stuff. Uh, Reading-wise, naspc.org. For $21, you get six issues of the Pipe Collector, and that's where you get a lot of information, and it's delivered you know, every two months. Uh, and you can get it electronically. I think it's $10. If you're doing electronic... Of course, you'll hear Fred Hanna talk about his book, The Perfect Smoke, available on Kindle, and uh, Rick Newcomb's books, uh, In Search of Pipe Dreams and Still Searching for Pipe Dreams, available still in print, I believe, and on Kindle. You know, just great gifts. Uh, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're, get the person you're giving a gift for is not so much of a reader. 
Well, the Father of the Flame, the documentary of, about pipes and pipe tobacco and pipe smoking, uh, smokingpipes.com has them for nineteen ninety five for the DVD. And if you order soon enough, you can probably get it in time for uh, in time for Father's Day. And they've got a great selection of other books too. Uh, you know, uh, just again, it just depends on what you think the person might like. Go through, pick out a book or two. And most of us pipe smokers really enjoy sitting down and reading a book and unplugging with our pipe. Uh, now, whatever you pick out, I'm sure is going to be absolutely wonderful. So don't stress over it too much. Again, pipe-wise, you know, if you think the pipe is pretty and you think the person will look good smoking the pipe, that's a great pipe to pick out. So there you go. Uh, pipe Smokers Gift Guide for uh, the summer of 2022 because I don't want to call it Father's Day in case it's after that or maybe it's for a birthday or, you know, a lot of June wedding anniversaries. So there you go. All right, in just a moment, my uh, discussion with uh, Fred Hanna. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Another discussion of Inside Fred's Head or with a discussion with Fred Hanna. So the beautiful part of these discussions is I let them go. They're free form. And where they go, how they end up there, it's just, it's natural. And this one is probably the most important one that we recorded. It's the most significant one to me. Follow along with it. See what you think. Fred, the next question that you wrote down is one that, uh, honestly, it really is, it, it, this one I really like, and I really hate to say that I really like something that you wrote, but <laughs> here it yeah. is. Do you think that certain pipe brands go better with certain styles of tobacco blends? And tell the audience what exactly are you what what exactly are you thinking in this question? Well, <clears throat> this is related to the old um tried and true and now nearly hackneyed um, discussion on Briar and Brand uh -oh. and Briar versus Brand. So let me, let me uh, um, uh, specify. Mm -hmm. There are some people who believe that certain brands, and I've, I recently heard a, a very well-known collector that, whose name everybody would recognize, mentioned two brands as smoking like, quote-unquote, hot air. <laughs> that all they deliver is hot air no matter what kind of tobacco you put in those pipes. It's just hot air. No flavor, no taste. And those two brands are S-Bang and Radici. <clears throat> Remember, I'm not yeah. making this up. I'm, and I want to say the person's name because I don't want him to get hate mail or whatever 
<clears throat> but these are, um, you know, the S brand, or sorry, the S Bang brand is very, very expensive and well known. They are yeah. not making pipes anymore, but they're still very, very much in demand, as you can see in those Taurus auctions. Um, and there are other um, pipe um, guys who I've heard say, you know, uh, Dunhill smoked Virginia is better. I've heard other people say, um, Dunhill smoked English better. I've heard people say that uh, a particular brand is the very best brand, um, you know, the very best smoking brand available. And, um, you know, I've heard people say Costello's smoke English better. Um, and I've heard people say that um, certain brands are really good with Virginia's. And um, I have tried and tried and tried to see if there's differences. And the differences is, are this. One item, one pipe, one piece in, of Dunhill pipes does not taste the same as all the other Dunhills because the wood is different. The wood, might one of them might have grown in um, one side of a hill or another side of a hill in, on the island of Sardinia or Corsica or somewhere in Greece um, or Algeria, you know, or, and um, the, the point is, is that these places have different microclimates in which this briar grows. And that briar, it's not just the season where you go picking corn or picking grapes like <laughs> in the white world. Yeah. That stuff sits underground for 40 to 140 years or 200 years in some cases I've heard of. So what is what does that briar pick up when it's underground like that? I mean, it just sits there and soaks up all these minerals. Some of them are going to have a different content than others. So here's where we get to then. Does that particular mineral um, combination that's in one piece of, of briar burl going to be different from another briar burl that was bought from the same uh, maker? Let's say it's Mimo. And do and you know so you get all your your grain from sorry you get all your burl from from Mimo. Well, whoop the shit! <laughs> Mimo himself told me that he gets briar from all over the place, and he can't tell by looking which is from which. So you buy briar from Mimo, he's not going to be able to tell you where it comes from because he can't tell the difference by looking at him. And Mimo is a true expert on Briar, and if he don't know, I ain't going <laughs> to even begin to speculate. So the key here is that even among Costellos, there's going to be variation from pipe to pipe. And I, I had a Costello once that smoked like crap, and I gave it to my friends to smoke, and we all agreed it tasted like crap. I said it tasted like a sewer. Actually, I tried everything. I reamed it, reamed it out, tried it with only Virginia, and nothing worked with that pipe. Now, other Costellos are just magnificent smokers. And, but 
some people say there is a characteristic flavor to Costello pipes. Others will say there's a characteristic flavor to Dunhills when they were oil cured somewhere. Um, nobody's really sure. Um, Bill Ashton Taylor told me on two occasions that he never saw a Dunhill pipe oil cured, and he was working there in the 60s. Wow. So, I um, mean, he told me that. And I told him, I said, well, what's all this about then? He said, it's all hype. <laughs> and he said, I know because I do oil curing in my Ashton pipes, which he did. And although he wouldn't tell me which oils, I, I asked him that, but he didn't want to tell. But anyway, um, so here's, here's what happens. So if I have an Ashton pipe, for example, and it's cured with certain uh, formula that Bill Ashton Taylor uses, and this is what's really important, Brian, and I really mm -hmm. want to see what you think about this. When I first start to smoke that pipe with its oil curing, it's going to give me a certain flavor that oil curing actually provides. So and when and then we, here, but then we run into the argument of how long does the oil curing affect the taste of the smoke? Bingo. That's where I'm at. That's where yeah. I'm going. I asked Bill Ashton Taylor. You know what he told me? Yeah. Thirty smokes, all the all the oil flavor is gone. He told me that. Yeah. And this is the guy who was dedicated to oil curing. So, so the real question then becomes. What is the curing process itself? See, so here's what, here's what uh, David Field told me one time, which I thought was very, very insightful. A lot of this has to do with when a pipe maker buys his wood, where is he storing it for the two years or more that it's in storage? Is it outside under some kind of a tarp? Uh -huh. Is it in, inside in somebody's basement? Um it sucks that briar is going to suck up the characteristics of an of its environment. Yeah, and it's going to have a certain um, influence on the taste of the briar, and therefore the taste of the tobacco. But then, for how long? Yeah, and and so this is this is really the key. For me, there's so much ambiguity in this that I think that um, once you um, remove the the differences in drillings, and once you remove the difference in the actual curing process, which just comes with smoking a pipe, mm -hmm. and a, a cake starts to build, then most pipes are going to be um, not distinguishable. And as I used to say in the old days, you know, like 22 or so years ago when I first wrote this uh, article that nearly got me strangled, <laughs> um, what, what happens then is that we have all of these pipes and it just comes down to the wood. And as Marby, Marty Pulvers told me one time, he said, it's God or nature that made that wood and the pipe maker has nothing to do with it. So that's why I like to say that every pipe has two makers and that is the pipe maker and the human element and the wood itself, which was made by Mother Nature. And so is there a difference after a certain point? I don't think there's a difference. So, um, so to support... But there are factors. But like, to, like curing is a factor. There's no question about that. Yeah. You know? But for how long? 
and we'll take a break right here and be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and we continue with uh, part two of the same question. Now, to support your argument, um, which I, it's going to be painful me to support your argument, but I'll, I'll support it, and then I'll tear it, <laughs> and then I'll and then I'll go on the other side afterwards. Well, if you need if you need to take an oxycontin or something before you talk, it's okay. I I have time, Brian. No, no, I'm good. Um, to support your argument that it is a it it's a combination of the wood and then the artist that it's a it's a combination of the wood and then the artist that releases the pipe from within the block, and that's a magical combination because other if it wasn't a magical combination then every pipe that that artist made you know well. we'll you you've mentioned your recent love affair with Jody Davis's pipes, and I'm you know I'm a little bothered by that uh, because I was there years before you. Um, if if it wasn't a magical combination of the of the actual piece of wood and then the actual pipe maker, then every one of his pipes would taste the same, and they'd all be great, right? Right. right. Or they'd all be not for you. And in the situation right. of, of S. Bang, I, I mean, I can name 10 different highly respected pipes, uh, you know, pipe collectors and smokers that I know and respect gratefully that love S. Bangs. And everyone that I've owned just hasn't smoked for me. So here's where I'm going to first. <laughs> first now, I've supported your argument. Um, now I'm going to tear it apart. Are you ready? Sure. You the you have a PhD in uh, what is it clinical psychology? Well, it's counseling and psychotherapy. Specifically, yeah, okay. So counseling and psychotherapy. You went for yeah. the technical side of this argument. I'm going to go for the psychosomatic side. Now, uh, yeah, I w actually I wanted to go there too. I just haven't gotten there yet. Go ahead. Well, um, well then I can't agree with you, so I'm not going to go there then. Um, <laughs> Here's how here's how it works for me. Same thing happens with tobaccos. There's a magical thing called for me it's called the the water in the factory. And whatever the water is in the fact that the factory uses affects the taste of the tobacco affects, you know, it's just it's the climate. 
So, oh yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. So, but I also have a, I have a deeper theory, and this comes from I've I've spent time traveling in Europe. I've spent time in the the five countries that I've spent the most time in are England, France, Italy, Denmark, and Germany. Mm-hmm. When I go to France, the wine tastes really really good there. When I go to England, I can drink the same bottle of wine that's made what 20 miles across the English channel from England and it doesn't taste as good there. And it's because I'm in that time and place where I'm in France and the French wine is so good and the atmosphere of the French wine works for me in France. Uh, if I go to, if I go to France and I order a gin and tonic, which is what I traditionally drink in England, it doesn't taste as good as if I drank it in, in England. So, with that being said, that's a long way for me to say, uh, a lot of it is mind and, yeah, a lot of it is psychosomatic and it's in our mind that if we're, uh, if we're smoking a Danish pipe, in general, the Danes smoke aromatics and therefore maybe that would be better with that. And I'm talking factory level. So, old days of Stanwell, uh, old days of the of George Jensen pipes, uh, you know Nording or pipes, Dunhill. yeah, or Dunhill, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're if you're talking Dunhill, then you're in England where Virginia's and English style, you know, Latakia laden tobaccos, you know, basically good Virginias that they went and screwed up by throwing Vir- by throwing Latakia in it. If you ask me. Um, you know, those styles of tobaccos are more prevalent. So the factories that live in those areas are going to produce more for their own markets, per se. Uh, the pipe makers that work in the old, you know, in the old days of Dunhill and the old days of Sassini and Barling and those factories, uh, those pipe makers were more exposed to Virginia's and English tobaccos. So there's something about those pipes that is going to be they're all going to be taste tested using the tobaccos that the pipe makers enjoy the most. So they're going to be worked in order to get that experience. Uh, you go to Italy or Denmark and most of those, you know, most of those guys smoke some sort of aromatics because that's, what's more popular in Italy, in Denmark. And on top of that, the biggest market for Italy and for the Italian manufacturers and the old Danish pipe factories was Germany where, yeah, I think in Germany, I think 108% of the tobacco smoke there is aromatics, or was aromatics, but it isn't now. So I think it all has to do with, one, it has to do with what our mindset says. You know, you go to Italy, you think of, uh, you know, if I go to Italy, I'm not thinking of the best sushi restaurant possible. Yeah, that's just, you know, I'm thinking pastas and and uh, and wine and, and, uh, and espresso and the same thing. Yeah, you, know, you go to England, and I'm not thinking of any fine foods. I'm just thinking of pub food and good beer and and gin and tonics. Um, so I think it's I think it's a lot of it is psychosomatic, and then at the same time, a lot of it is also marketing and manufacturing traditions for their core original markets. That's what I meant earlier um, when we were talking about mystique. Well, the you mystique use fancy words. Stuff. I spell it out so. <laughs> so here we go. Ready? Let me uh, get to the psychological side of this Uh-oh. because it's, it's hugely important. And um, 
you just got there a little bit before I did. One story that I like to relay. I, I just want to um, say, though, if you make me cry on this podcast, I will never forgive you, but go ahead. Well, then let's just shut it down right now, Brian. Okay. I can't take that risk. Your, your, <laughs> your friendship is too important to me. Yeah, and, I, and I'm fragile, but yeah. All right. Um, there is a, a, a famous story in the wine world where someone asked Baron Philip de Rothschild, the, the, or Rothschild, I suppose, is the proper pronunciation, what was the greatest wine he'd ever drank? And he told him, himself, I read the story, I never met the Baron, but he told the story of the answer that he gives. Um, in all honesty, he said, the greatest wine he ever drank in his life. This is a guy, by the way, who owns... The or did own the vineyard, um, one of the, the the great eight of Bordeaux, among Chateau Petrus and Lafitte Rothschild and mm. you know Cheval Blanc and um, you know the uh, the rest. He said that the greatest wine he ever drank in his life was in a street side Bordeaux restaurant when he had their common ordinary house wine. And he was with his fiance, who he had just asked to marry him. And he said that that was the most wonderful wine he ever drank. It was the most memorable wine he ever drank. And um, he said there was just something marvelous about that wine. And <clears throat> at the same time, he knew it was no Chateau Mouton. <laughs> See? So... There's a very curious and powerful psychological influence. Now, when a person, I remember myself back in 1974 or five, when I got my first Sheraton, I knew that pipe was going to smoke incredible because the mystique had already infiltrated, if not poisoned, my mind to believe that this Sheraton couldn't be anything but spectacular. I think the 1960s poisoned your mind before that, but go ahead. Um, you know, Brian, sometimes I think you know too much about me. Yeah, I'm sorry. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway so um, people have an expectation that they, they're going to get a certain, uh, um, you know, taste out of a pipe. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing is they have the taste in their mind before they ever light up the bowl. And so they're already tasting the pipe, and they're already excited. Why is that? Because, pardon the use of the term, phenomenologically, in terms of how we can we um, view our experience, phenomenology, by the way, is the study of human experience in itself. Um, uh, phenomenologically, that person has already constructed and pieced together what they're going to experience, and their expectations are determining what it is that they're going to taste. So yep. that is a huge, huge part of tasting. And then so some people, see, they I've met them. I've talked to them. One person will say, yeah, man, I smoked a Reiner Barbie once. It was fantastic. Barbie pipes are fantastic. Well, no, you can't judge an entire brand by what statisticians call an N of one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I've challenged people 
because I used to conduct wine, you know, blind tastings in the wine world, I've challenged people to a blind tasting of pipes. And people will say, okay, you're right. I think I've thought about it, Fred. If I had to do a blind tasting of pipes with all the same tobacco and had the, even stem, had the stem buttons somehow obscured, um, I don't think I'd be able to tell the difference between brand to brand. Now, those are just very honest guys who had my highest respect. Mm -hmm. But the point is that we don't have that kind of uh, ability to distinguish pipes. Why? Well, in, in the wine world, all you have to do is pour the wine into a glass. The glass does not affect the taste of the tobacco, or I mean the, uh, the wine. But in the pipe world, there are so many variables. It's the smoking speed that the person uses. It's how they light the bowl. Some people smoke at lower temperatures. Some people smoke at higher temperatures. That's going to change the taste of the tobacco and the delivery of the experience. There are other people who, when they smoke a pipe, they um, are you know, very, very slow. Other people are very, very fast, you see. And um, all these variations, not only that, the cake that's in the pipe already affects the taste of the tobacco. There's no cake in a wine glass. But <laughs> you the hope there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, now, by the way, uh, just as an aside, I, I, uh, I, I've uh, mentioned before that some people who smoke 20 bowls a day, I'm convinced they need to go to Amazon.com and find a mouth reamer because they probably developed cake in their mouth. Anyway, um, the, the point, though, is that I'm trying to say is that there's so many variables that impact on the flavor of pipes that it's almost impossible to distinguish from brand to brand. Yeah. And there's always the exception, you know, like the Costello collection, great line, beautiful straight grain, gorgeous 66 shape with it or 65 shape with a incredible, incredibly beautiful briar insert in the stem, you know, classic Costello. And it tasted, I mean, I bought it brand new. Um, so there was no influence. It was just horrible. I've had other Costellos that were just good, and I've had others that were tremendous. So there's a range in there, and that's why I get very, very skeptical when I hear somebody say, well, this brand smokes this way, and this brand smokes that way, and this brand is better, than, better with Latakia. This, this brand does really good with Virginia's. You know, maybe in the beginning, the curing might have an influence on that. But as I said in the original Briar and Brand article, which is available online, by the way, I believe <laughs> at the Minnesota Pipe Club. Anyway, um, the and also in an updated version in uh, my book, The Perfect Smoke, as long as we're talking about it. But the point is that in that original article... Uh, I said that the briar, in order to be considered in, in the discussion, the briar has to be well-drilled and well-cured. And well because however you slice it, if the briar is not well-cured, then that it's going to taste like shit anyway. 
But in reality, what we've come to is what I have preached on this little podcast for many years now, uh, coming up on almost a whole decade. Wow. Uh, and if you keep talking longer, it may seem like two decades. Uh, <laughs> I have that effect on people. But yeah. It's not a big deal. They're all sleeping by now anyway, Brian. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, what it, what it's all come down to is yes, we all have preconceived notions of what an experience should be. As we as we gain more experience, we get more preconceived notions on stuff, right? Yeah. We we yeah. get we have more history. We have more data to pull from, and this is a this is a very primal tribal thing that goes way back in our DNA, all the way back to when we were running around, you know, butt naked and hairy in the woods, and we'd look at something and go, oh, that not good to eat. You know, because we had a preconceived notion that, you know, that berry over there, that made Joe Bob drop dead before. So we don't eat that anymore. Um, what it all comes down to is, yeah, we have these, you know, I, I have this preconceived notion that when I go to when I go to uh, Denmark, the the Pilsner beers there are going to be absolutely great. And the wine's not going to be so good. But it's the same wine that was made down the road in France and Italy. But, you know, I. It, it's because that experience works for me with that. Um, yeah, yeah. So we we gain knowledge over trial and error of what works best for us. And when somebody tells you, "Oh, this you know, uh, this brand of pipes, um, you know, Peterson being an Irish brand, it should smoke an Irish whiskey blend the best," you know, or I've you know whatever the Whatever the scenario is, when somebody tells you that this is the best for this, what they're telling you is that these are the experience. This experience that I've had has been positive for me with this. Your yeah, experience right. may differ, but that's right. You go <laughs> off of suggestions and guidelines, and that's why I've told people. I said, you know, what's the best selling? You know, people have asked me all the time, what's the best tobacco out there? Well, you know, the best is the one you like the most. And then if you want real factual details of what the best tobacco is out there, it's got to be based off of sales. And Captain Black's the number one selling tobacco in the world. So Captain Black must be the best, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah. See, there's, there's another aspect of this, too, that I want to. Uh, uh, I had a conversation with Greg Pease once where he told me that the tobaccos that he took with him to Denmark when he went to visit, uh, I think, Paul Ilstead and a couple others in, in Denmark. I think Tom Eltang was another. Um, he said that the tobaccos that he took with him tasted distinctly different in Denmark than from California. Yep. Now, that I thought was interesting. Now, there's another point. When I moved from Baltimore to a town in Colorado that was at 5,000 feet elevation. Everything's in other different. Words, it, I, for a long time, Brian, I thought for months, I thought I'm going to have to give up pipe smoking because nothing tasted good anymore. Yeah. And then I talked to somebody who told me that they went through the same thing and they give it a few months. Uh, months. It's not weeks. Months. And sure enough, my all my tasting... Um, returned after a few months. And so I fortunately wasn't thinking about getting, you know, about quitting pipe smoking anymore because, you know, <laughs> there was just no pleasure in it. What's the point? So, you know, I don't buy all those pretty straight ranges to just look at. I buy them to smoke. So 
the, the idea here is that the environment, and I heard you touch on this a little bit, the environment itself can have a distinct influence on the tasting apparatus of yep. the smoker. Yep. I, you know, I've always said my straight, my straight Virginias, the only time I smoke them is in the mornings on the, in the humid summer days and, wow. and notice, really? yeah, notice I said humid summer days because it could be the middle of the dead sun, you know, you know, the hot, humid summer here in the Southeast and I could get on a plane and go to Vegas for a trade show in July where it's hot, but it's not humid but my Virginias don't taste right. Yeah, so I hear you. I just leave them at home. Speaking of humidity, that's exactly what Greg said. Yeah. That was the humidity in Denmark is much, much greater than him in, you know, semi-arid California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so, what I'm trying to say, there's so many factors at work here that we, it's, a, it's just way too simplistic to say um, this pipe, th this and this pipe, that, and this is, you know, what you can, no, you just, no, we're talking about nature here. Nature's not known for being simple. No, no, but what I will say is, you know, you, you take recommendations from people that you, you know, from people that you trust their opinions uh, and you, and they have valid experiences and find people that have similar experience with it. You know, as you yeah. and so and dive can I in. A, uh, can I introduce a psychological concept here? Is um, this the part where I'm going to cry? Because you came close. No. Oh. no, no. Okay, good. <laughs> in developmental psychology, um, one of the characteristics of <clears throat> a more mature or characterologically developed person is known as the tolerance of ambiguity some people just have no tolerance of ambiguity at all they want to think in terms of a or b white mm -hmm. or black right or wrong this or that and they totally ignore shades of gray and surrounding complexities so the key is that i think that that same kind of logic or lack of it is um, at play when we talk about tobacco some and pipes. Some people like to oversimplify things and then hold on to it with like religious dogma. Yeah. And that there are other people that see the ambiguity and they're okay with it. But nature is not a simple thing, you know, or we, uh, we would have been flying um, for vacations. We would have vehicles that, that fly us to the moon for weekends, you know, we don't. Nature is not a simple thing to figure out. Where and so, where in your uh, in your book of Sigmund Freudisms does uh, does the person that finds something that they like and then continues to further modify it and tinker with it and screw around with it to see if they can make it even more perfect or more enjoyable to them, where does that person fall in? Well, actually, that can be quite a healthy thing, or it can just be plain old OCD. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's in two places. One's great, and the other one's me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Fred, did we cover this one? Are you satisfied with your uh, with your expressions of your it-isms on this? 
My idisms, yes. Um, <laughs> basically idiosyncratic, I think, more than anything else. But, um, yeah, this is just a very complex subject, and yeah. it can't be oversimplified without losing something. That's all. Yeah, and no, and it, and it and it's fascinating. And the better part for me with this is that it not only does it apply to pipes and tobaccos, it applies to everything in the world that we come into contact with. Absolutely, so, couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So you all listeners got like I, I don't know what ten sessions. You probably charge what two fifty three hundred dollars an hour. Get all that yeah. out in ten sessions. So that's like that. yeah. You know, I, I ain't worth that much, Brian. All right. Well, all right. Two dollars and fifty cents a session. <laughs> there we go. Either way, that, you got it. You got somewhere between ten bucks and uh, three thousand dollars worth of therapy all in this episode. <laughs> So, yeah. By the way, that A, A or B black and white thinking is referred to in the trade as dichotomous thinking, and um, very often uh, it can help a person greatly um, in certain kinds of anxiety and certain kinds of depression to open up that dichotomous thinking to sh shades of gray and other um, you know influences. And so, yeah, there is actually a therapeutic. Um, can, you know, uh, component to that. See, I always thought I was on the other way on the other side of that because I'm a Libra born in the age of Aquarius. <laughs> That's right. See, I, I always feel really good about myself till I look in the mirror. And then I realize <laughs> I've been just bullshitting myself all these years. <laughs> well, that wraps that up. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. I, uh, I think the, I think the moral of that story is, boy, there's a life lesson in there for you. Uh, feel free to re-listen to that again, although try not to do it back to back, but we'll be, uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I, I hope you all survived that. I hope you all appreciated that insight there. I mean, that's just, you know, again, a, a conversation that went in a completely different route. But, uh, you know, so basically, your expectations are based off of information that you've gained and experiences that you've had, and sometimes you've got to break those free and let loose on them all right for music uh jess sent in a uh, couple of suggestions and this one kind of struck me first off it's from a an american pianist named george winston 
don't know if he's a pipe smoker, but I can tell you that he looks like a pipe smoker to me. Uh, but anyway, this one is entitled Thanksgiving.
again, his name is George Winston, W-I-N-S-T-O-N. Uh, lots of music on the internet, all sitting there for free, just for you to sit back and listen to, and perfect for uh, background music while you're trying to concentrate, or, you know, if you just want to sit down and relax with your pipe. You've got mail. Mailbag comments or questions can be emailed directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Or you can go to PipesMagazine.com, register for free. Yep, that's right, it's free. And you can post it on the radio show page there at PipesMagazine.com, right underneath that episode if you want. Or the best thing you can do is go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review, just like Doc Watson 63 did. And he wrote, great show, five stars. Uh, And then he said, there are a few good pipe podcasts, but this is the gold standard. I can't wait to listen as soon as each drops on Tuesdays. Thank you very much, Doc Watson 63. And that's right, new shows every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. Uh, Going back to last week's show, Jay Everett says, I'm really enjoying the continuing saga here. This man has is a wealth of experience in a in the pipe world. Also, his story of the uncomfortably long man hug from a stranger in a random hotel room had me laughing for a few days. Great stuff. And that, of course, he's talking about uh, last week's part two of uh, story times with Fred Janusik. And then uh, regarding that show, Dino said, uh, "I'm with Jeremy." That's the method I use. The 8-gram Bovita 72s work just fine. Another fun and interesting bunch of stories from Fred. I hope the newer members of our community are enjoying these as much as I am. I think it's important to know how we got to this point in the pipe world. Uh, Great musical choice. Brian and the Beach Boys were among the most inventive musicians of our time, and I totally agree with your gassing about gas. (laughs) Thanks, Dino. Yeah, I guess I gassed about gas or blew a gas valve. Um, anyway, <laughs> thanks, Dino. And then Casey Ghost says, tremendous show. The point that Jeremy made about the Bovita is spot on to me. You do have to leave the Bovita in the tobacco for an extended time. I think a month should do it. Great stories from Fred. It's a shame I left New York City, Brooklyn at age two, or he could have mentored me. Well, maybe. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I just love the Beach Boys. I guess I was 14 or 15 when I first heard them. It was love at first listen. We all thought they would be a one-hit wonder, but man, were we wrong. Uh, they produced an ocean of hits. And then he said, I hardly go anywhere, anywhere anymore, so gas isn't a major issue to me. <laughs> gas is a major issue to me, but that's a different kind of gas. And then... Uh, And then Tad writes, uh, Hi, Brian. I thought you may like this or wish to share it to others through the show somehow. A review of 100 Sherlock Holmes performances. And it's crimereads.com slash 100 Sherlock Holmes ranked. And it's the 100 best, worst, and strangest Sherlock Holmes portrayals of all time ranked. So you can go on to crimereads.com. And find that under 100 Sherlock Holmes ranked. And then he also says it was a pleasure meeting you Friday at the Chicago show. Looking forward to the next opportunity to attend a show. Happy smoking, Tad. Tad, thanks for sending that on. Do appreciate it. 
Uh, and then uh, Brian Wilson writes, uh, "Hey Brian, loved hearing you mention uh, loved hearing you mention of the Brian Wilson long promised road documentary. I've long been a devoted follower of Brian's music and completely agree that he's one of the true geniuses of our time. Uh, just to clarify, my name is actually pure coincidence." My parents weren't Beach Boys fans of any kind, and it was only later that I came to find out the, the person whose voice I heard in my headphones shared my name. Hope you're well, and then he signed it, Brian, picking up good vibrations, Wilson. <laughs> yeah, randomly named after a megastar. Uh, maybe his parents had some good vibrations that he doesn't know about. Probably shouldn't talk about that out, out loud. Uh, I'll just move on. Uh, and then... Uh, Going back to last week's show, Bryant Malone writes, Brian, I'm working my way through your catalog in reverse while keeping up with the new shows. Thank you for that recommendation. I learned a lot from the Q&A with Jeremy about rehydrating dry tobacco. And I always like hearing from learned collectors like Fred Janusik, or as you say, the better Fred. Keep up the good work, and I'll enjoy listening. Regards, Bryant. Bryant, you're welcome. Yeah, glad you're paying attention and listening uh, listen, you know, catch up on the old while keeping up on the current. And then finally, uh, uh, Matt writes, Brian, great choice of music last week. Guy Clark was an un, uh, was an underappreciated songwriter, and I encourage my fellow Pipes Magazine radio listeners to explore more of his music. So this goes back a couple weeks because I'm a little slow sometimes or I'm a little slow all the time. Uh, anyway, he says, I would love to hear more of his music featured as well as some Delta Blues artists such as Sunhouse of or Mississippi John Hurt. These folks may not have all been regular pipe smokers, but they certainly use tobacco products. And given the time they, they were alive, I can't imagine them spending their whole life without enjoying a pipe or two. To the point of my email... I am an academic biologist. Yes, another pretentious pipe smoker with a PhD. <laughs> and one aspect of my research includes predator, prey, and herbivore plant interactions. Because of this, I sometimes work with tobacco plants and the animals that eat them. I commonly include the research performed in my lab and the findings of other labs across the world while teaching on the subject of ecology. Many members of the genus Nicotiana, which we commonly call tobacco, exhibit responses to herbivory that your listeners may find interesting. I know my students certainly do. Tobacco plants can actually tell the difference between a caterpillar feeding upon it and incidental damage from another mechanical means, such as cutting it with a knife, or in the case of our research, using a hole punch. It recognizes a chemical in the saliva of the caterpillar and increases production of nicotine throughout the plant as a chemical defense. This can reduce the number of caterpillars feeding upon it and discourage other herbivores, insects, herbivorous insects from laying their eggs on that plant. Some tobacco species even produce airborne chemical messages that are recognized by true bugs that directly kill and eat the caterpillars and are parasitoid wasps and by parasitoid wasps who lay their eggs in the living caterpillars for their little wasp larvae to eat and slowly kill from the inside out. 
Because of this unique characteristics, broad availability, and ease of growing, tobacco is used quite often in scientific research and has provided a multitude of opportunities to ask and answer interesting biological questions. So while the aspect of our hobby that most of us enjoy learning about centers around the artisans that produce pipes and blend tobacco, the biology of the plant that makes our hobby possible is equally interesting. I hope my fellow listeners think so too. Keep on producing awesome content. I look forward to every Tuesday when new episodes post. Sincerely, Matt. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for sending that in. Uh, that's fascinating. Uh, kind of makes me wonder if that's why the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland was a pipe smoker. Uh, but yeah, and maybe one day we'll have you on the show so that you so that we can get more into you know, the actual plant that we consume. So thanks for sending that in again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. story that has nothing to do with pipes or tobacco and has uh, you know nothing really serious not real heavy but best buy and sell by dates so sell by date means that the store should get it off the shelf and that you should use it in the next five to seven days depending on the item best buy date means that you know the store can sell it for a long time and you should consume it before that date and i used to think that the best buy dates were put there in place for the company to try to sell more but I actually ran into one that actually worked. <laughs> I mean, it, it really worked. And the funniest thing is I used to think best buy date on water, right? Yeah, water. How can water have a best buy date? Well, you know, we here in the Carolinas where we get hurricanes, I always make sure that we have a case of bottled water on hand and I try to rotate through it so that it's never there for much more than six months. But I ran into a couple old bottles of my Pellegrino Happy Bubble Water, you know, the, the fancy bubble water in plastic bottles. And they had Best Buy dates of about a month ago. And, uh, or used by, yeah, Best Buy dates. 
uh, you know, of a month ago. So they'd been in the bottle for about a month. And I started, I opened them up and I, you know, I cooled them down and opened them up and they didn't taste right. And they didn't taste right. And then I realized they had gone completely flat sitting there. Yeah, completely flat. So when you see a best by date or a use by date on a bottle of water, it's probably pretty, pretty accurate. And it's probably because the carbonation in there broke down the seal and started to leak out and so on and so on. But anyway, uh, moral of the story is, you know, keep an eye on what you got. Make sure that you're using it by the use-by dates or the best-by dates. Pay attention to the sell-by dates, but, you know, don't stockpile bottles of bubbly water. Stockpile tobacco instead. It doesn't have a best-by date, unless you're talking about aromatics. All right, there you go. Uh Thank you again to Fred Hanna for joining me, and I hope you guys really understand and listen to that. I wish I would have had that conversation, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago. Might have saved me some money and saved me some time and energy. And thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. Happy trails to you. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy trails to you till we meet